Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Like I said, we'll be in First uh, Kings chapter 11, beginning in verse 9. And uh, we live in a, really a culture of uh, uh, stories with, with a happily ever after ending uh, when our kids start to watch movies and they, they start to get a little bit worried what something's going to happen we always normally turn to them and say don't worry it'll it'll get better you know this might be sad now but just wait it'll it'll change but uh and when we speak about literature this is this is what they call a comedy and it's not that it's meant to be funny but it's meant to there's comedy and there's tragedy and the the tragedy is is the an ending with a sad and and depressing ending the comedy uh, finishes with that happy ending, that vigorous ending. Uh, Shakespeare, known for many of his uh, tragedies, the tragedy of Romeo and Juliet, a uh, love story, you might say, but uh, what happens in the end is both of them die. Um, uh, unfortunate events that lead to their uh, demise. Um, and so maybe more realistically, we live uh, a tragic comedy. It's where a mixture of both um, things go almost horribly, and then in the end, it normally turns out uh, well. And but the life of Solomon is is somewhat of a tragedy. Um, it really, you might say, is the fall and demise of Solomon, especially how it finishes. Although, as we've pointed out in the study, that. Uh, during his life, uh, you know, I believe that he is a believer um, uh, based on a couple of things that he wrote scripture that uh, we saw last week. He, he still references, the author still references God as his God. Um, and our theology doesn't um, um, work on a works-based situation. So there's sinners in heaven. And we're grateful for that, that there are sinners in heaven, because that means you and I, as sinners, can be in heaven also. But now we come to the end of his life and the end of his reign. And in chapter 11, it really is a sad demise and fall of Solomon. And it's a sad note to be able to finish uh, the life of Solomon. Uh, Spoiler alert, at the end of chapter 9, Solomon dies. Uh, The author... Uh, Nathan or Edo or uh, Ido or uh, Adonijah, the prophet, as they record this for us, they record that he he dies. He he finishes his race in this world, and and he doesn't have a, a turnaround at the end, from what we see. Um, as you see in Second Chronicles, as they recorded this, Nathan. Uh, Ahijah, the Shilonite, or uh, Ido, the seer, concerning Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. But we really have no resolution up to this portion. When we see David fall uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, his his life does have a tragic ending to it. The the fall of his household, the death of his uh, four sons. But he dies years later. We have the confession found in Psalm 51, and possibly even Psalm 33, but we don't get that with Solomon. We don't get that uh, question of what happens. He, he turns away from the Lord at the end of his life. 
this overarching question is really, what is going to happen to David's line, to David's throne? And what is going to happen to God's promise to David? Will it finally work out? And we know that David's sons will sin. This is a part of the prominent covenant of, of, of David. When the Lord tells him that I will be a father, uh, to him I will be a father and I, he shall be a son. When he commits iniquity, I shall discipline him with the rod of men and the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. So here, uh, we know that sin is going to be in the lines of David's son. Discipline will come upon them from the Lord. And we've, we've seen this clearly, as the author points out, in, in, throughout Solomon's life, we've pointed out these red flags. But in, in a major way, right in chapter 11, as he's about to finish the story of Solomon, he, he, he's no longer hinting. He gives us very clear uh, in the beginning of chapter 11 when King Solomon loved many foreign women along the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Zidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into a marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods." And Solomon clung to these in love. Solomon has not kept the law of God. And we see that again in this passage, it's clear that Solomon has broken the law. And the Lord is angry with him. As we unpacked last week, the focus is not what he did, per se. Although that is bad, the issue is more heart problem. The key is his desperately heart, sick heart. He loved foreign women and, and he did not love God. That is the essence of his sin. He clung to foreign women and did not cling to God. It was not that he loved the women, but that his heart was then taken away because of that. Connected, but it is important that we understand the matter of the heart is the heart of the matter. And we have this recap in the beginning verses of verse 9 and 10. And we know that Solomon has sinned, but now we actually see the Lord's response to Solomon's sin in verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And he had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. So we see the Lord's response to Solomon is that he turns in anger. Now, the Lord turns in anger even to Moses. The Lord turns to anger to the, 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 wilder, the wander, wilderness wanderings. We find out at the end of chapter 11 that the Lord did not approve of what uh, David did with uh, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And here we see the Lord's response to this sin. Solomon's heart is turning from the Lord. And specifically we're mentioned here that the Lord appeared to him twice, specifically in chapter 3 and then again in verse 9. Briefly in chapter 3, we remember in chapter 3, here Solomon is going up to the high places. He's still somewhat worshiping God, Yahweh, but he's doing it in the, in the way that other nations are worshiping their gods. And by the end of chapter 3, you see that he comes now before the ark of the Lord. 
he changes the method in which he worships the Lord. But here, the, the Lord appears to him in chapter 3, and the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was a great high place. And Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And Gibeon, the Lord, appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And the God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon turns around and asks for wisdom to be able to, a discerning mind to be able to rule God's people. And, and we remember how that story goes. But more specifically, the second appearing in chapter 9 is really what this verse in chapter 11 is, is speaking of. In chapter 9... Uh, as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he appeared to him in Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, If you will walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children... And do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out uh, of my sight and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss, and they will say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. That big word, if, if you follow me. Specifically in verse 6, that phrase there, if you turn aside from following me, what did Solomon do? He turned aside. He did not follow the Lord with his whole heart. If you do not keep my commandment, what did Solomon do? Well, he did not keep the Lord's commandments. And he went after other gods to be able to serve and worship them. Again, the great story of Exodus is not merely that the people are saved to unto themselves. They're saved to be servants of God, to be able to serve and worship Him with their whole heart, mind, and strength. And you see this in this passage, the Lord's commandments are about the worship of God, not serving other gods, but worshiping Him and Him alone. And this is the danger in chapter 9, is the people are going to be pulled away. Pulled away from serving God, breaking the first commandment. But there is also an outcome which is promised here. If you do turn away from following me, what will happen? You see that in verses 9 and 10 in chapter 9, uh, verses 9 to 7 to 9 in chapter 9. 
Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them, and the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight, and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. It will become a heap of ruins. People will walk by and say, why has God done this? And even those who walk by will be able to say that they worshipped and served other gods. This is why the Lord has brought disaster upon them. Now Solomon has been warned. This is specifically Solomon was warned this. The first time the Lord appeared to him asking what he wanted. The second time very specifically. Do not turn aside from following me. Follow me with integrity of heart like your father David had followed me. Solomon had been warned very clearly. Now before we move on we need to again understand the patience of God and the promises and his warnings. Mainly we've seen this very clearly in the book of Exodus as Pharaoh rebels against God and does not listen to him. But God still shows him patience. And it's important for us to understand that the promises of God take time. He promised Adam and Eve that if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they will certainly die. Now what they assumed would happen is they would die immediately. Well, they did certainly die. But they did not drop dead at the moment that they died. God fulfilled his promise. It did not happen in the means that they thought or immediately. And we often think about God's slowness to fulfill his promises is speaking of the positive sense of the promises that he speaks. He is slow to fulfill his promises to Abraham to be able to give him a land, to Abraham to be able to give him a son. He's slow to be able to save the people of Egypt. They're enslaved for 400 years or so. He's slow to be able to uh, give them a king or or fulfill these promises, even as we understand David coming and, and Christ coming. We think of those promises that this is what this means, for God is slow to fulfill his promises. Now, I quoted this verse several times on Sunday, not only in the sermon, but Uh, Generally, each week, I I pray through an attribute of God, a characteristic or attribute of God. And last week, the the one that so happened to be uh, the verse in which, or the the attribute that I prayed for was the patience of God. God is long-suffering. And when we look at 2 Peter chapter 3 specifically, it's not speaking of necessarily the positive promise of, of God fulfilling his promise to be able to carry out a good deed. It's actually... God is slow to fulfill his promise, giving us a chance to repent. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but patient towards you, wishing that, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. So here, there's this threat, this warning from God, if you turn aside and follow other gods, this house will become ruined. You will be cast out of this land. Now, it doesn't happen immediately. But here is a chance for repentance. What we saw in David was he repented when Nathan confronted him. And so too with this promise, Solomon has been warned. He had broken the commandment of God very clearly in the the commandment which was quoted there. Uh, Deuteronomy 17, we looked at that as well. But 
more importantly, that the Shema, the, 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 the key commandment, is, as you might say, the greatest commandment, as Jesus was asked, he wrote, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. But also, as we remember that, that judgment is coming, there's, there's also grace in this judgment. But first, let's look at this judgment. What is the judgment in, in 1 Kings chapter 11? Verse 11, and, and therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. The Lord, quite clearly, that the punishment for this turning aside is the Lord is going to tear away the kingdom from Solomon and give it to his servant. Now that image should bring back all those, uh, the, the image of that of Saul in 1 Samuel. Now I know that was a long time ago, but 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul rebels and doesn't carry out the clear commandment from Samuel to be able to go and annihilate the evil nation. And so he, he keeps things for himself and he saves the king. But here, Samuel comes back and says to Saul, I will not return with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned to go away and Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man, and he should have, uh, that he should have regret. And so that image there of Samuel, Saul clinging to this corner of a robe. Now again, that promise takes a while for it to be fulfilled. But yet, that image is exactly the image which the Lord said that would happen to Solomon. The Lord is going to tear the kingdom away from Solomon. Now it's important when we think about the prophecy that will come through Adonijah later in the chapter. Uh, Lord willing, next week we'll look at that. But here judgment comes in three different levels. We'll look at two this week and then we'll look at the third in detail next week. But here the Lord is going to raise up adversaries. This is how... Uh, this punishment is going to find. The first adversary is Hadad of Edom. Now before we look at that passage in 1 Kings, I want to point out that reminder of all the marriage alliances that Solomon had that we looked at last time. He was marrying these foreign women and seeking not merely just to be able to marry them, but to be able to call them princesses is, is to have some form of alliance with these kings, to be able to marry, uh, to be able to have strong bonds uh, between uh, the, the countries. And where do they come from? Egypt, Moab, Ammon, Edom, Lebanon, Hatti. And, and, and so all these nations, they're, they're meant to um, have an alliance with them, but where do these adversaries actually come from? Actually, they're from a lot of these nations that Solomon had turned to. Solomon, in his human thinking, thought maybe if he can make these alliances, then he will keep the peace that surrounds him. But this is the foolishness of the world. They, to, to be able to think that, that using the world to be able to protect yourself, 
the danger of our hearts is there's no way to be, to be able to protect ourselves, that all of it is in the Lord's hands. And what we see clearly here in verse 14 is the Lord raises up these adversaries against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was, was the royal house in Edom. The Lord uses creatures for his own glory. And even when we think that we see all this connects, all of this even goes back long before into 2 Samuel chapter 8, where David defeats all these kings and, and conquers many lands and regions. And specifically in chapter 8 of 2 Samuel, one of the great nations that he conquers is Edom. And David defeats the Edomites, and here we find out more of what actually was happening long before even Solomon was on the scene. In 2 Samuel chapter 8 is when David and Joab defeat the Edomites, but we find out more about what happens here in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 11, in verses 15 to 22. For when David was in Edom, and Joab the commander of the army went up to bury the slain, he struck down every male in Edom. For Joab and all Israel were remained there six months until he had cut off every male in Edom. But Hadad fled to Egypt. Together with certain Edomites of his father's servants, Hadad still being a little child, they set out from Midian and came to Paran and took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt to Pharaoh king of Egypt, who gave him a house and assigned him an allowance of food and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave them him in marriage and his sister of his own wife, the sister of Tafenez, the queen, and the sister of Tafenez, born him Genobath, his son, whom Tafenez weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Genobath was in Pharaoh's house amongst the sons of Pharaoh. But when Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart, that I may go to my own country. But Pharaoh said to him, Why have you lacked with me? What have you lacked with me that you are now seeking to go to your own country? And he said to him, Only let me depart. So here, long before even Solomon was on the scene, we find out that here the Lord is able to be able to preserve this Edomite Hadad to be able to be raised up to be an adversary for Solomon in his waywardness. All of this in David's reign, God's hands of providence, the author says the Lord raised him up. Years before, even we have the mention of Solomon, the Lord is preparing for all of this to happen. Again, I think even as you read through this passage, you see, see somewhat of a, a mirror of what happens here uh, in a negative sense for Moses. Moses is meant to be destroyed. He's a little child. But then the Pharaoh ends up raising him in his house to be able to serve the Lord and his purposes to be able to save Israel. Now, I'm not then saying that here Hadad is, is some form of Moses figure, but I think there's that literary elements there that here the Lord is using what is these alliances that Solomon has sought 
But even long before that, here the Lord is able to be able to raise people up, to raise up nations. You even think about this in a historical setting of, of what will come with Assyria, what will come with Babylon, been raised up in Habakkuk quite clearly. The Lord uh, tells um, Habakkuk, the prophet, that here the Lord is going to do great and uh, things through these evil nations to be able to discipline his people. And here you see somewhat of a mirror here of what is happening in this time. That here the Lord had preserves um, Hadad to be able to be an adversary for him. And again, this is important as we think about all that is going to happen in First and Second Kings. In First and Second Kings, there will be many nations that will come in and conquer, defeat, destroy kings, and, and, and take over areas of Israel and Judah. But here it's all the Lord doing it to be able to discipline his uh, his people. Again, God's hands of providence is always at work. So we have the first adversary of Hadad, and then we have the second adversary of Rezon, uh, which we see in verses 23 to 25. God also raised up as an adversary to him, Rezon, the son of Eliada, and he had fled from the master Hadaezer, king of Zorba, and he had gathered men about him and became leader of a Maraudin band, Maraudin band, after the king of da- by David. And they went to Damascus and lived there and made him king in Damascus. And he was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, doing harm as Hadad did. And he loathed Israel and reigned over Syria. So this again goes all the way back to 2 Samuel chapter 8, where David also defeated Hadad-Ezer, the son of Rehob, the king of Zobah. And as he went to restore him power at the river Euphrates, and David took from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers, and David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for a hundred chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadad-Ezer, king of Zorba, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants of David and brought tribute. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Again, the same problem that we see here is David's conquering has left some portions where the Lord raises up these adversaries to be able to discipline uh, Solomon. Before Solomon ascended the throne, and this is how his reign finishes. Now remember, when David was still alive, before Solomon was about to take his uh, throne, David had given him very specific instructions of the enemies that he had. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 5 to 9, we find out about Joab, the son of Zeruiah, uh, did what he did to, to David. The loyalty of the sons of Basili, the Gideonite, and Shimmi, the son of Gira, the Benjaminite, who had cursed him, and Adonijah, who had uh, done evil as well. 
And this is all that the Lord had, David had warned Solomon of all of his enemies. But here there's these enemies that still yet remain. But it finds that here Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. So the king was established in the hand of Solomon. The kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So these enemies are destroyed, and the kingdom is, is established. And what the, the end of the reign says is that there are still enemies. Is Solomon's throne going to remain there as well? What is going to happen? The Lord is going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand. We've got this warning. What will happen to the kingdom? What will happen to David's throne? What will happen to the promise that God had made to David? Judgment is coming. But judgment does not mean the absence of grace. What we see here in this passage is God's grace shown to Solomon. See this in verses 12 to 13. Yet for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. Why is there grace shown to Solomon? It is only because of David and particularly because of God's promise to David. When you think about uh, Samuel chapter 7, the very end there, he explains that he is not going to tear it out of his son's hands as he did with Saul. The discipline will come, but it will not be completely torn out of his hands. And that is one of the major things that comes up in First and Second Kings. There's this battle that will forever be going on between Israel and Judah. The line of David will forever be in tension. There will be the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom always have a son of David on the throne. But then the northern kingdom has someone in the tribe of Ephraim. On the throne, but then there's another king that comes on that's the son of David from Judah who will come on the throne. And then there's this battle who is sitting on David's throne. And, and the very end of First Kings, Second Kings ends with one of David's sons back on the throne, Jehoiakim, king of Judah. But the whole kingdom will not be torn from Solomon's hand. Because not because of what Solomon has done, because what David has done. Because of his heart, Solomon gets the blessing. Because there is one who did, with integrity of heart, follow the Lord. Who loved God with all of his heart. Again, we see the shadow of Christ, the fulfillment of the promises that are given through him. The the blessing, the grace comes not because of anything Solomon has done. Actually, Solomon deserved the opposite. Solomon deserved for the whole kingdom to be torn out of his hand. But it's only because the promise God made to David 
that it's not going to happen. The Lord would be the one who establishes David's throne and David's son on his throne. In Luke chapter 1, is what the Lord says, speaking of Jesus. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The only reason we have any more of First Kings, Second Kings, all the way to the Gospels, is because of the Lord's promise that he made to David. Again, what did David do to deserve that? We looked at that when we looked at First Samuel chapter 7. Nothing. But that's the covenant of grace, that here the covenant is fulfilled with what God is going to do. All of those promises in, in chapter 7 are about what God is going to do. God is going to establish His kingdom. God is going to put His Son on the throne. God is going to rule and reign. God is going to um, enable His kingdom to be able to last forever. And, and if we think that we're looking at Solomon and, and thinking that this is somewhat of a tragedy, really we just haven't read for, far enough. The tragedy turns into a comedy because in the end, there is a happily ever after. It's just not found in Solomon. It's not found in Solomon's son or his son after that. Or even at the very end in Jehoiakim. It's found with Christ when he comes, when the Lord tells Mary that in her womb is going to be the son of David who sits on the throne. And God will establish his kingdom and God will, uh, he will rule forever. Even Jesus' name, Yahweh saves, Yeshua. Where we get Joshua from. Jesus, the Lord saves. This is what we see throughout all of this, that there's many a time where the tragedy is, the person is in the grave and we do not know where they are, where their souls have gone. But for those who trust in the Lord, for those who look to that righteous king, not because of what David has done, but because of what God promised to David. That's what we'll see throughout all the rest of 1 and 2 Kings. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.